Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this Saturday, all day and night, as both the Nationals and D.C. United are at home. Nationals Marlins at 4 p.m., D.C. United versus Real Salt Lake at 6 p.m. Register ahead of time at waltersdc.com slash events for a free drink. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Presley ready. Clock down at 2-1. He gets it off in time of the pitch. Swung on, lifted in the air to right. This is way back. This is going, going, and gone. Goodbye. A home run for K-Man Ruiz. And it's the Nationals 1 and the Astros nothing. Seven pitches into the top of the ninth inning. The kick and the pitch. Swinging a ground ball up the middle. It's going to go through in the center field. A base hit. Tucker around third coming home. There will be no play. He will score. And the game is tied. Breaking ball, ground ball, base hit through the draw and infield and into left center field. Nationals are back in front. Abrams scores. Thomas takes a wide turn and holds. It's the Nationals 2 and Houston 1. Mayton to the belt. It'll be a 3-0 pitch. Here it is. And it's outside and high, ball four. A run will come in, Thomas will score, and the Nationals lead three to one. Now the pitch. Curveball lifted in the air to left center field toward the gap. This one is gonna get down, it's a base hit. The Nationals go station to station and now lead four to one. Ruiz drops a single in the left center field for the RBI hit. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, June 16th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Minute Maid Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So we on Thursday night for a second consecutive night had an eventful final few innings for the Nats at the Houston Astros, but this time the Nats won. There was no Trey Turner play this time. Thursday night, a 4-1, 10-inning win in a game that was scoreless through eight innings. The Nats then blew a 1-0 ninth inning lead, but they then scored three runs in the top of the 10th. Coming up later in the show, a special guest, legendary columnist David Teal of Richmond.com on the University of Virginia baseball team, which is in the College World Series. Also later in the show, news on a product of UVA, Sean Doolittle. But the Nats on Thursday night won, won for just the fourth time in 15 games. There have not been many Nationals victories here lately, but we did get one on Thursday night. Nats now 27 and 40. And Mark, I presume no need for any color photos, no need for any postgame rants by Davey Martinez on Thursday night. 
No, Al, I think it was a sigh of relief more than anything (laughs) that they did emerge from that game victorious. If they had somehow blown it and they came close to doing that, that really would have been a demoralizing thing. But I don't know how to explain what we've seen, especially the last two nights, but I feel like we've seen this more than a handful of times as well over the course of the season. They can look lifeless at the plate for the majority of the game (laughs) and have nothing going on. And then all of a sudden something clicks and they get it going. And Fortunately, it happened just in the nick of time. In this case, the Cabot Ruiz homer in the ninth was spectacular. Unfortunately, that wasn't enough to hold up for the win, but the sustained rally in the 10th was a thing of beauty because that's the kind of thing we just have not seen from them in a while. To actually string those together, not to score the one run, but to tack on two more and actually provide some cushion, I think that finally allowed Davey to take a a little bit of a breath and not be on pins and needles for the bottom of the 10th. No doubt. I mean, we'll get to what happened with Hunter Harvey, but the truth is, I mean, if the Nats score any runs, do anything offensively over the first eight innings, then, you know, we're not likely lamenting what happened in that bottom of the ninth. But yeah, all four of the Nats runs on Thursday night came over the ninth and tenth innings, and it was really good to see Cape Ruiz have a big game. He is not having a good offensive season, although he also has been plagued by some horrendous luck. So, you know, I don't want to beat him up too bad for his offensive numbers, but the offensive numbers are not good. Cape Baird came into Thursday with an OPS plus for this season of just 87. Not good. But again, lots of bad luck, and he on Thursday night was good. He was in there as an at's number five batter. He went three for five with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. So it was Cape Baird who broke the scoreless tie. Uh, one run ninth, a leadoff homer to right field of Astros reliever Ryan Presley, who has had a bad last few days here. Nats take that one nothing lead. And then Cape Baird in the Nats three run 10th, a one out bases loaded opposite field RBI single to left center for a 4-1 Nats lead. Andy in the top of the second had a one out single up the middle. This is a guy for whom the results have not matched the process. It was good to see him get some good results on Thursday night. Yeah, 100%. He has had some absolutely some bad luck here over a several weeks period of time. And, you know, I thought it was funny. They went 26 innings in this series, unable to hit a ball over the fence. They hit a bunch of the warning track. There were some solid contact from a bunch of guys, but could not hit one over the fence. And then Kbert, and, and he said his approach in that ninth inning at bat was just hit it hard. Think about line drive. He wasn't thinking about a home run at all. And he hit that as well as anything that he's hit in a long time, 109 miles an hour off the bat. And it was a no doubter to right field. And it's a reminder that as much as we know and they know that home runs are important, the last thing you ever want to try to do is hit a home run. You have to just stick with the approach, try to hit the ball well and in the air, and then it should carry. He needed that one. They needed that one. It's been rough for him, like you said, but he also has had a little bit of a knack here for coming through in big spots. Think about the game at Dodger Stadium that he came through for them. This is another big one against a really good team on the road. I think psychologically he needed something like this to sort of confirm to himself that what he's doing is fine and ultimately it will pay off for him. I thought it was notable, too, that Davey Martinez in his postgame session with you guys in talking K-Baird made it a point to talk about K. Baird as a receiver and as a game caller. Because, you know, you take a step back, this was actually one of the best pitched games by the Nats this season. At a good team in the Astros, five Nats pitchers in this game combined to allow one run in 10 innings with 10 strikeouts. I mean, that's really good pitching when you think about it. And K. Baird Ruiz obviously was a big part of that. 
Yeah, 100% called a really good game. And I thought especially with the relievers in some tight spots was calling for pitches that I wasn't necessarily expecting in each of those cases. And they delivered and he framed them well, all of that. That's a really good pitching performance top to bottom. I know you wish the one run didn't happen on Hunter Harvey's watch, but what the other guys did over nine innings to shut down that lineup, I don't think that should be underestimated. So K-Bilt Ruiz had a good offensive night on Thursday night. Three other Nats had multi-hit games in this game. Lane Thomas, Corey Dickerson, and Dominic Smith. Lane Thomas, two for five, double and an RBI single. He had that three-run tenth, a one-out RBI single up the middle for a 2-1 Nats lead. Also, Thomas in the top of the eighth, a one-out first pitch double off the left field wall. We had Corey Dickerson getting on base three times. He was an ad starting designated hitter and cleanup batter on Thursday night. Joey Manessis, a rare day off. Dickerson, two for four with two singles and a bases loaded walk. He and that Nats three-run tenth drew a one-out bases loaded walk for a 3-1 Nats lead. We also had with Dickerson, top of the second, a leadoff opposite field infield single toward third base on an 0-2 pitch, and then him being thrown out in an attempted steal of second base. Corey Dickerson had not attempted a steal, not registered a steal, attempted a steal in a major league regular season game since 2021. Here's the set of the pitch, runner going, breaking ball high, the throw and the tag, and he is out! As Pena puts the tag on Corey Dickerson. You've got to think maybe there was a missed sign there because while Javier does not hold runners well at all, Dickerson does not run that well and has had a calf injury this year, and Ruiz is a contact hitter. Do we know why Corey Dickerson was attempting a steal in that top of the second on Thursday night? I meant to ask about that, and I just flat out forgot. Sorry about that. So much happened in the game after that point that I kind of got lost in the shuffle. But my hunch is that it was actually a missed hit and run sign, maybe by Caber Ruiz, given the situation. I can't imagine they wanted Corey Dickerson running. You would maybe have him run if the idea is for Ruiz to make contact, stay out of a double play. And Ruiz didn't swing on the pitch, so either he missed it or Corey Dickerson missed it or something obviously went awry. I wish I had remembered to ask that question because that was a very strange situation. Fortunately, it didn't matter in the end, but it felt really out of place in the moment. And then Dom Smith, as mentioned, he had a multi-hit game, two for five, with two one-out first-pitch singles. You know, he's been better lately, Dominic Smith. He started to hit for some power. He is getting on base a ton. I mean, his on-base percentage for the season is up to 346. So, look, he's not having the season anybody wants, especially as a first baseman. But he is getting on base a lot, and he ended up actually having a pretty good series in this series at the Astros. And a good road trip. He hit the big home run in Atlanta, big hit. Wednesday night's game, he did come up with a chance to sustain that rally in the 10th and struck out. It would have been tacking on at that point. They didn't really need it. But I think at this point, you have to just acknowledge this is who he is. The best hope is that he hits for a high average, hits a bunch of singles, hopefully comes through in a few significant spots and plays good defense at first base. I think to believe at this point that he's suddenly going to turn into some monster at the plate is probably short-sighted. But for now, he's who they have. And I think they're going to stick with him until they feel like they have a better option. And Thursday was Dominic Smith's birthday. He turned 28. So a happy birthday to our friend Dom Smith. So the Nats on Thursday night, like we said, did blow the one nothing ninth inning lead. But the Nats on Thursday night did get overall excellent pitching, including overall excellent work from the bullpen. Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four and a third innings with six strikeouts. And within that, 
were some really impressive performances. Mason Thompson, our guy Mason, is he in fact back in full effect? Man, has he looked so much better lately. Thompson on Thursday night, one and a third perfect innings. He came into the game, bottom of the six, runners on first and second, two outs, game scoreless. And he came through, striking out the Astros' number five batter, Jose Abreu, on three pitches. Dominance against Abreu, and then a perfect inning after that. Man, this is huge. If the Mason Thompson of earlier this season is back in full effect, this is a big-time development for the Nats. It makes a gigantic difference for them because now you don't necessarily have to use all four of the big guys on a given game, although they did in this case because it went to 10 innings. You have another option to bridge the gap, a guy you can bring in for a fading starter in the fifth or the sixth inning. That at bat, the strikeout of Abreu was huge because he went right after him. Three straight fastballs, 96 all in the black. And I was talking earlier about Cabert Ruiz calling the game and surprised me in a few moments. That was the biggest one of all. He gets ahead 0-2 with the fastball. And we know that he's got a wipeout slider when it's on. And you're thinking, oh, he's of course, he's going to throw that now, get him to chase, and that'll be that. And instead, he came right back with another fastball in the inside corner. Abreu was totally fooled by it, never took the bat off his shoulder. I thought that was a great call and great execution by Thompson. And then to come back and have a really clean, quick, one, two, three, seventh. I think there's enough evidence now over more than a week, even two weeks, where Mason Thompson has looked like the guy we saw in April. And I agree that is a huge development for this bullpen if he really is all the way back to what we saw in April. So Mason Thompson was very good on Thursday night. And then Kyle Finnegan was very good in this game. We have talked about this many times with Finnegan. He too often is off, but when he's on, he can really be on. And he was on on Thursday night, a scoreless bottom of the eighth with three swinging strikeouts, including back-to-back six-pitch swinging strikeouts of the Astros' numbers two and three batters, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. I tell you, with Finnegan, it's like you wish you could bottle up this version of Kyle Finnegan and just have this every time he pitches because you see this from him and you see how good he can be. I thought he looked so good in this game. We just know how it is with him. He's not like this every time out. But when he's like this, he really is impressive. This might be the best we've ever seen him, arguably, given who he was facing. Now, he had some extra juice for this one. He is from Houston, grew up here. He had a bunch of family and friends, maybe as many as 100 people over the course of the series that he got tickets for. They waited patiently on Tuesday and Wednesday, hoping he would pitch, and he didn't. Then they came back and had to wait until the eighth inning to finally see him take the mound in this one. I think he was feeling it, knowing they were all there. This was a big moment for him to pitch here for the first time in his career as a major leaguer and to face those guys. I know Maldonado's not a good hitter anymore, but he got Altuve and Bregman, and he got them all with 99 miles an hour, straight gas. When he is on, like you said, he can do that. He doesn't have to worry as much about placement. The stuff is that good when he throws it in the vicinity of the strike zone. That was a huge inning for him and a big moment for him in his career to do that here in Houston. And Finnegan can be a really good strikeout pitcher. You know, his strikeouts per nine innings for this season actually is right about where Hunter Harvey's is. 10.13 versus 10.62. Again, it's just he's not like this every time out, Finnegan. But when he's on, he can be excellent. And he certainly was on Thursday night. So Mason Thompson, good. Kyle Finnegan, good. And then came Hunter Harvey. And he allowed a run in the bottom of the ninth. He gave up a leadoff double 
by Kyle Tucker to right field. Harvey did then retire two consecutive Astros batters, but Harvey then gave up a two-out pinch RBI single by Yanir Diaz up the middle to tie the game at one. So for a second consecutive game, Hunter Harvey has problems in the bottom of the ninth. He and that 5-4 walk-off loss on Wednesday night allowed an unearned run and recorded two outs. It's a little tricky because it's not like Harvey has gotten smashed over these last two games. So I think it's important to note that. But, you know, he is now the ace reliever. He is now quite clearly the closer. And while this can be a bit misleading, he this season is three for eight on saves, which is, you know, not what you're looking for from a guy who is your supposed number one reliever. Where do you think we are with Hunter Harvey? He seems like he's close on a lot of these. It's always two outs, and even in this case, two strikes. He's one strike away from ending the game, and he throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and Gainer Diaz, to his credit, hits a perfectly placed ground ball up the middle. So it's hard to figure out what exactly we're talking about here. Clearly, he's got the stuff. I think he's got the makeup for it as well. I don't think that's what the issue is for him. But if he's off a little bit with his command, it does seem like he can be hit. He's not usually losing games because he's walking batters. It's getting hit. He's given up some home runs that cost him in some spots. This one, it's really the double that started the inning that was the real problem. The ground ball single with two outs, you know, what are you going to do? The leadoff double set the tone and put him in a bad spot where now he's, you know, got to battle his way to try to get through that thing. I'm not sure. I keep going back to, I know Everybody has talked about him as a future closer forever, but he still really doesn't have that much big league experience. And maybe some of this is just him learning. He's learned how to stay healthy, it appears. Now he's got to learn how to actually thrive in big spots and big league games, and he doesn't have that much body of work to go off of. So you would hope that over time he gets better at it. But in the situation that they're in as a team, they're probably going to keep calling on him in these big spots because he is their best option at the moment. It makes for an interesting situation, and I'm I'm not entirely sure what to make of it except to say the situation the Nationals are in, the situation Hunter Harvey is in, I say keep putting him out there, get him the experience, and see what he ends up at the end of the season. He certainly, if healthy, you would think has the most upside of anyone in the bullpen because of the velocity. But what is standing out is that he is allowing a lot of contact. And for a guy who throws as hard as he throws, I find that to be odd. You know, I just mentioned his strikeouts per nine innings, 10.62. So for a starter, that would be really good. I think for a lot of relievers, that would be really good. But when you are a back end of the game guy and you throw 100 plus miles per hour, that actually isn't the strikeouts per nine innings you want. Like if you look at the strikeouts per nine innings for the real flame throwing relievers in baseball, they're in the teens, like 13, 14, 15. And and I know that's a high standard, but like guys who throw 100 can do that. If you look at like Felix Batista for the Orioles, his strikeouts per nine innings this season is above 18. Okay, now that's super elite, but still like that's the kind of territory you can be in. I think Hunter Harvey has that kind of ability. I mean, I think he could be doing what Batista is doing. And so I wonder about the quote unquote lack of strikeouts for Harvey. I don't know if it's a movement thing. I don't know if he's not properly setting guys up. You know, these relievers, their seasons are always like smaller sample sizes. So maybe just as the season goes on, the strikeouts per nine innings go up. But it feels to me like there is another level he can get to with the strikeouts. Because again, the stuff is such to where he can be doing better than even 10.62 strikeouts per nine innings. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And and I agree with that. And I, I think that may be the experience factor. A lot of guys come into this league with great stuff like that. 
but it does take a while to learn how to pitch with it and when to throw what and what you can trust and where to try to locate certain things and how to bring it all in together when you're faced with a jam and the tying run is in scoring position with two outs in the ninth. I would imagine that with experience, or you would hope with experience, that that will all come to him, but he's not there yet. And that's okay. In a perfect world, he'd probably be pitching the seventh and eighth innings for them and kind of learning on the job. So many of these guys who end up as closers, they spend a whole year in a setup role at least, figuring it out, and then they ascend to the closers role. And in this case, because of their situation, he has kind of been forced into that maybe before he's ready for it, at least from an experience standpoint. I think he clearly has the stuff and he's been around for a while, but because of all the injuries, he just hasn't pitched that much. So then we had the Nats scoring three runs in the top of the 10th, and then Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a perfect bottom of the 10th. And I felt like Edwards doing quick, good work in that bottom of the 10th was like so going to happen. It's so funny how baseball can work. When a game is close and like you're tight, you can almost anticipate things going wrong. And then when the Nats score the three runs in the top of the 10th and you can relax, it seemed as predictable as, you know, the sun rising in the east, that Carl Edwards Jr. or whoever pitched the bottom of the 10th would come in, bing, bang, boom, game would be over. And that, of course, is precisely what happened. Baseball is so funny that way. It's the human emotions of this, okay? If you're the Astros and you rally to tie it with two outs in the bottom of the ninth and you're thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to take these guys out. We're going to finish it off. And then you watch Phil Maton really struggle in the top of the 10th. And that's why I said it's not just the Lane Thomas RBI for the first one. It's the follow-up hits, the way they sustain that to build a three-run lead. They force Dusty to make a pitching change in the 10th inning. Fans are starting to file out of the ballpark. You can't tell me that within that dugout, they're deflated at that point. It's been a long day. It's been a long series. They already won the first two, and they're now they're in the bottom of the 10th inning. And they're thinking, well, all right, we'll get them tomorrow. I'm sure – whether they want to admit it or not, that's human nature to feel that way. The stakes were incredibly different, but I do remember in game five of the 2012 NLDS, after Drew Storen blows it and the Cardinals take the lead, there's still a chance to come back after that. And it was lightning quick, one, two, three, bottom of the ninth, because they were defeated. They knew it. It was over. Emotionally, they were spent. They didn't have anything left in them at that point. Stakes far lower in this one, but you could feel that that's kind of what the Astros were thinking. Once they gave up the three runs, once Dusty has to make a pitching change, this game's over in their mind. So good on Carl for not even giving them a sniff of coming back and just throwing strikes, getting three quick outs and getting this thing over. Yeah. I mean, that was a super efficient bottom of the 10th by Carl Edwards Jr. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kbert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfis. Call Mason today at 202 486 
202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Nat Chat is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Check out their selection of shorts and pants that come with the comfort of built-in liners. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation Summer Sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? DC might not have been on the Taylor Swift circuit, but still plenty of other events in the nation's capital, such as the Ed Sheeran concert in a few weeks in Landover. That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Throw over to first, Tucker's leaning, and they have him picked off. He's out. Smith applies the tag on Tucker diving back in, and Mackenzie Gore has his first pickoff of the season. Had Tucker leaning a bit towards second. That's the second out of the inning. Leading things off for the Nats in this oh-so-well-pitched game for them on Thursday night was Mackenzie Gore, and if not for what happened over the ninth and 10th innings, I feel like we would lead with what Mackenzie Gore did on Thursday night. Five and two-thirds scoreless innings. Now, these were laborious innings. McKenzie threw 95 pitches, 51 strikes versus 44 balls. He issued three walks. He gave up four hits, but all four of the hits were singles, and he recorded four strikeouts. You know, this was, I think, overall good. I mean, again, it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't quick. I mean, he threw 57 pitches over the first three innings, but five and two thirds shutout innings like this, pretty good. It's been weird with Gore lately. We've talked about this, but the overall body of work now, 14 starts, ERA of 374, whip of 138, his strikeouts per nine innings at 10.49. Obviously, you would have liked for him to have lasted longer in this game, but for the time that he was in the game, the run prevention certainly was good. We've talked about how Mackenzie Gore can be pretty hard on himself at times, and even when he pitches 
the results are good, he will find things to find fault with, with the way that he went about it. And there was a little bit of that going on in this one. But I liked what he said at the end of the quote where he was discussing it. He said, zeros, no matter what they look like, they're good. And, you know, at some point, you just have to accept that. You can be a perfectionist. You can want to be really efficient. You can want to go seven strong and all that. But you know what? You shut out the Houston Astros for five and two-thirds innings. You did something right. And credit to him for doing that. This was a different kind of game for him. He was not striking guys out. was not getting the swings and misses. He was actually getting a lot of weak contact, which is not his typical MO. But it worked. He dug down. He found a way to get through it. You want to believe that there will be better days for him, of course, more dominant days, of course. But given the opponent, given the situation, you put up essentially six zeros on his part. That's fantastic. Take that. You run with it. You'd be thrilled with that result. All right. A few uh, non-game Nationals items for you here on this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. So reliever Sean Doolittle now is pitching for AAA Rochester in his recovery from the left elbow injury. He had been pitching in the lower levels of the minors, but he is now at Rochester and, you know, presumably could be called up to the majors at any time here. Do you think him being called up is imminent or would you not go that far? I don't think I'd go that far yet. I think he needs to show some success at AAA. The point that keeps being made to me is he's healthy now. He's off the IL. He's just a minor league pitcher trying to earn his way into the big leagues. And that sounded a little different than what I thought it would be early on when Davey suggested, hey, give him seven, eight appearances. It's kind of like spring training, and then we'll make a move to bring him up. I think they want to see some success. He wasn't great in his first Rochester appearance, so maybe they do want to see him pitch a little more effectively, get into a good rhythm. And, you know, think back to last year. I know it's a little different circumstance, but remember, we waited months for Tyler Clippard to finally get the call, and then didn't go well when they did finally call him up. I'm not saying that's going to be the end result here, but it does maybe provide a little bit of a roadmap and to understand that they don't have to make this move. He is a minor league player on a minor league contract. They will make the move when they believe he is good and ready and that he is a better option for them than whoever they have in the big leagues at this time. So maybe there's a chance it happens sometime soon, but I'm starting to get the sense that they might drag this out a little bit and not make that move until they are convinced that he is big league material again. Nats had very good pitching at the major league level on Thursday. Also had some good pitching in the minors. Jackson Rutledge for AA Harrisburg on Thursday. Two runs in seven innings with six strikeouts. One of these sneaky good developments for the Nats in the minors over the last, say, 12 months is Jackson Rutledge finally getting on track. He's healthy. He's pitching well. He's now making his way through the minors. And you look at what he's done for AA Harrisburg now this season, 11 starts, an ERA of 318, a whip of 111, 56 strikeouts in 62 and the third innings. I would think at some point, maybe soon here, he gets bumped up to AAA Rochester. And maybe it's time for Jackson Rutledge to uh, enter the chat of minor league pitchers who could be making an impact at the major league level at some point, certainly next season, maybe even later this season. But this is good because Rutledge had become sort of representative of these first round picks that were not working out for the Nats. There always was time for him to work out. And maybe just maybe this will end up working out. I love this, that he's doing well and uh, maybe can be a real factor here. It's great that he is healthy and staying healthy and pitching every five days and having success now at a higher level at double A. Yeah, you want to see that continue at some point. You want to see how he fares at AAA. You know, he's a little on the older end now. He's not the typical young 20s prospect. He's more in his mid-20s. But 
you were a first round pick at some point. There is a pedigree there that say like a Jake Irvin didn't have. And we've seen that he's gotten the opportunity to pitch in the big leagues for a nice extended stretch here right now. So eventually when they do need another starter and they're going to need one, eventually you'd like to have a pool of qualified candidates for that job. And you'd rather not have them be the retreads or be the guys who aren't really big league material, but you say, well, let's get a look at them and see how they fare. Jackson Rutledge was a blue chip prospect. Good on him for working his way back from all the injuries. Whether it happens later this year, whether it happens next year, the time will come eventually where they want to get a look at him at the big league level. And again, knock on wood, they've been pretty fortunate here outside of the Cavalli injury. They've been very fortunate with their starters and their young starters and how everyone has stayed healthy. Eventually, they are going to need more starters, whether it's this year or beyond. And so you want as many viable candidates for those jobs as you can possibly get. And it would be great for Rutledge to put himself in that conversation. And speaking of guys who could be pitching at the major league level for the Nats, say, oh, I don't know, next season, Paul Skeens, the LSU stud, he on Thursday was named as the winner of the 2023 Dick Hauser Trophy. The Dick Hauser Trophy is given annually to the most outstanding player in NCAA Division I baseball. So if you're keeping track of awards won by Paul Skeens here for this season, 2023 National Player of the Year, 2023 SEC Pitcher of the Year, and now the recipient of the 2023 Dick Hauser Trophy. Paul Skeens, as we speak, is number one in the nation in strikeouts at 188, strikeouts per nine innings at (laughs) 15.81, and whip at 0.78. He is number two in the nation in ERA at 177. He is listed by LSU as being 6'6 and 247 pounds. Knowing how much Mike Rizzo values power pitchers, I can only imagine behind closed doors the extent to which Rizzo is lusting after Paul Skeens. Now, you know, if the Nats do have their pick of Skeens and the LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, I still think you go with Cruz. It's safer to go with the position player But good God, the numbers that Skeens is putting up, the collegiate career that this guy is having, if you're a Nats fan, how do you not get excited about the possibility of the Nats taking Skeens at two if, in fact, the Pittsburgh Pirates in this upcoming 2023 draft take Cruz at one? Look, they have taken a lot of pitchers in the first round over the last decade, and we know the track record there. But let's be clear about this. This guy is in a different category than all of them. This is Steven Strasburg coming out of San Diego State. And yes, there are risks involved because of that, but it's hard to find a guy with that kind of pedigree coming out of college, out of a big-time program like he is. He's about to pitch in the College World Series this weekend. I'm sure Nats fans will be interested to see how that goes and get your firsthand look at him and hope beyond hope that he is reined in a little bit and not allowed to go too far or throw too many pitches in search of a national championship. But it is exciting to think of the possibility of a guy who, again, like Strasburg, could be on a really fast track to the big leagues. We'll see. There's still, what, a month to go until the big day. But it's exciting to think about the possibility of a true game changer being available to this organization that has been waiting a long time to draft another game changer. 
You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board. Email us. Uh, contact Tim Schober. See what we can do for you. Again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website, too. Check that out. NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on NatsChat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the NatsChat podcast. Visit TimNewmark.com. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time on the NatsChat podcast. We just talked some Paul Skeens. Also in the College World Series is Virginia. The Cavaliers are the number seven overall seed. We'll take on the number two overall seed, Florida, Friday evening at seven in Omaha. And we had the chance to chat with one of the all-timers when it comes to Virginia sports, David Teal, legendary columnist. You can read his work at richmond.com. And so we will leave you with that. Enjoy that. And we certainly are cheering on Wahoo in the College World Series. Any conversation about Virginia's 2023 baseball team starts with an everyday lineup that leads the nation in batting average, ranks eighth in scoring, and showcases potential first-round draft selections Kyle Teal at catcher and Jake Geloff at third base. But what has separated the Cavaliers during this NCAA tournament is their starting rotation. Nick Parker, Connolly Early, and Brian Edginger, each of whom transferred to UVA last offseason, have teamed for a 2.20 tournament ERA and six quality starts in as many games. Not once has Coach Brian O'Connor turned to the bullpen before the sixth inning, and the starter's briefest outing was Edginger's 15-up, 15-down, 5 innings versus Army in the regional opener. Teal and Geloff were linchpins of Virginia's 2021 College World Series club, and this is O'Connor's sixth trip to Omaha since 2009. The only coach with more World Series appearances during that span will be in the opposing dugout Friday night. Florida's Kevin O'Sullivan, a UVA graduate. The Gators and Cavaliers clashed three times at the 2015 College World Series, Virginia winning twice in route to the national championship. Here's the wind of the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well. Deep center field. Way back goes Springer to the warning track. Looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes the Z-Man to the deepest part of Minute Bay Park. Just to the left of the batter's eye in center field. Ryan Zimmerman with his second home run of the postseason cuts the Astros lead in half on a postseason World Series home run for Ryan Zimmerman. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.